you know, not necessarily women's health care, but health care in general. And so. Yeah, it, it, it. So that's why I saw this and I joined quickly. You know, Dr. Alice Perluski, who um, is a long COVID sufferer and a cardiologist, an academic cardiologist herself. Uh, she just asked me yesterday if I wanted to co-author an op-ed with her on cognitive bias in healthcare in general and in COVID in particular, because the dismissiveness of women in healthcare is endemic and it chronic fatigue has been dismissive of women forever. Um, and co long COVID has made it so much worse and accounts for why it's been discounted for so long. And in my own experience, I've seen women physicians discount women. Um, so it, it's, a, it's sort of a pervasive phenomenon in healthcare. And that's uh, because we're going to be writing that op-ed together. I thought I'd just uh, listen in. Oh, thank you. Because meet Barbara Annis. Barbara Annis is an expert in gender differences. And she gives me a lot of materials. And if you, um, Heyman, if you don't mind, posting the link to the inv invitation to the Discord. Yes, we'll you, do. If, if you join, Hi, John. Hi, everyone. If you join hey, the Heyman. Karma Club... Hi, Heyman. If you join the Karma Club Discord, we have a lot of women's issues materials up there that, um, that Barbara has put up. And we're doing... Uh, we're going to do about a month of rooms on women under siege, not all of them in healthcare, but you know, it, it obviously started with Roe v. Wade. Right, right. No, I've 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 been dialing into a lot of those, and Barbara and I follow each other. And Barbara, I really appreciate your contributions on Clubhouse regularly. So I'm I'm glad you're here on this stage as well. And hi, Gouda, and hi, Hammond. So great to see you. I haven't seen a lot of you lately. Yeah, as these well. are these are my smart friends. What I try to do is, and and if you're in the audience and you're smart, feel free to share the room with your friends because this is a smart space and a safe space. I mean, I don't know what safe space really means, except that we are intelligent, civilized people who try to be nice to each other. And thoughtful. And thoughtful. And so we typically have very good discussions. Hi, Rick. Hi, Scotty in the audience. Hi, Erica. Hi, Lily. Anyway, we're do karma. I finally decided to make this a real club. It's had a podcast for a long time. And Heyman and I are working on getting the podcast up um, in, in my sub stack so that people can actually, um, who can't come to the room, can actually download the podcast. And a lot of us are experts on women's issues. I, I'm going to tee it off by saying that I burned my bra in the 60s and I marched in the 70s. And I thought we went through this with Roe v. Wade I, I was one of the first investors in the Women's Bank in New York because it used to be that women had no ability to get credit for themselves. And the very um, heart-wrenching thing for me is to see that we are now here 50 years later, and I don't know, whoever um, 
has said that whoever doesn't read history is destined to repeat it. Um, it's all coming back around. And it's coming back around largely because of ignorance. But Barbara sent me, and I, I would like to let you, Barbara, talk about this. Um, we tried to get her on the show, but she couldn't come. A woman emergency room doctor, and that's in the Discord. Um, the video is in there. It's a TED Talk that she gave, uh, and it was about what happens to women in the when they walk into the emergency room. So, Barbara, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely, yeah. So it's Dr. Alison McGregor, and... Um, uh, you can you can watch her. I really recommend you all do and share it with the world because there's much denial out there around gender differences in every aspects of our body, in particular uh, in terms of men and women. And what happened was that the, the biggest aha moment that occurred happened uh, with the heart attack. So they actually doctors, emergency physicians like Dr. Alice, realized that they were sending women home to die. And the reason they said that was that they realized that 72% of women have very, very different symptoms of heart attack than men. They don't have the stereotypical, you know, crush, crushing pain down the arm, all of that stuff. They have flu-like or, or kind of anxiety or not feeling well. So they'll come to the emergency and say, I don't, I feel off. I don't feel. And I have a sister-in-law at age 38 who did exactly that afternoon and Monday mo morning she was heading to her car lawn of her own home at age 38 and she was having a massive heart attack and they sent her home saying you have anxiety you might have a little bit of a flu just rest and take some fluids so anyway Dr. Alison McGregor has really been at the forefront and we're saying okay and heart attack symptoms what other differences are there and but the biggest thing and back to what Dr. Francine says the big is that we didn't know what we didn't know. So we had huge blind spots. And we located in university, college, medical school, high school, wherever we came from, on these differences, right? So it didn't start until 1990 when we actually began really doing some research on this. We have a way to go, but at least we started. Prior to that, we only tested men. And we only tested male. So... Big, big blind spots. and, and it, it was the 70 kilogram male that they tested everything on. Exactly. Yep. And now we know enough. And, and she also said that there were 80%, no, sorry, 80 medications, over the counter medications were pulled off because they had really horrible effects on women. And of course, ho hopefully, all of you know that Ambien and Example has been uh, very, very detrimental for women uh, because it lasts much longer brain and they'll get up in the morning after they've taken a sleeping pill and drive their kids to, to school and have massive accidents. And that has actually happened. So they've you know, pulled that off, even though they adjusted for their weight and all of that stuff. They just have very, very different you know, reactions to some of these medications. So we have a lot a way to go and I can speak a lot more but really just let's kick it off here Dr. Francine and uh, whenever you yeah I, I if it's okay uh, Dr. Francine um, I've got to run in a few minutes but I, I just wanted to reflect briefly on Barbara's comments before I have to run oh um, please do John 
Yeah, and and so um, I mean, not run, but run. yeah. <laughs> um, so I uh, was on the faculty of, uh, and I, I try and anonymize things as best I can, but at, at a prestigious university in emergency services, and I was director of an ICU for a prestigious healthcare system, uh, and practiced for many years. And everything you say is one hundred percent true, and the indoctrination of medical students and residents into this bias is so systematic that I've seen many women fall prey, women physicians fall prey to the same indoctrination that men fall prey to. And it's, and it is about, uh, you know, the, so much of historical research is done uh, on males and to the neglect of women and women uh, tend to be neglected in healthcare if their symptoms do not fit a classic pattern. So men present with really atypical chest pain when they're having a heart attack too, but it, it does appear to be much more common in both in the literature and in my own experience. It is an example. If a woman comes in and says, I just got this funny scratching sensation in my right shoulder. I've never had it before. And it feels really weird and I just don't feel right. Um, you know, it, you don't hear that very often in male. You hear things like that more commonly. I don't know why it is uh, physiologic and obviously genetic and probably some cultural component, but there isn't, um, there, there isn't a, a systematic framework for differentiating um, how you diagnose the same disease differently in the, in the different genders. And um, it is a huge problem. And it's actually a recognize the, the first publications on the neglect of women with uh, atypical symptoms of heart attack, uh, you know, were published like 30 years ago. It's not new, but it remains neglected. So I'm so glad you're holding this room. And I just want to validate the, from a, uh, someone who's practiced a lot in the emergency room and in uh, director of a critical care unit that it's a real thing. Um, it is systematic. It is culturally reinforced. Uh, it is pervasive. And the literature is beginning to have more. Two things are having an impact. The literature is having more and more of an impact. And the trend towards more uh, women physicians is, is having an impact as well. So um, a lo long, long road ahead of us still. And I'll stop there. Thank you. That's that's wonderful, and I'm hoping you'll come back and talk to us some more because there's so much happening. Um, actually, let me tell you the scare story before you leave the room. Uh, another film that I saw this week and that you all should see is on Netflix, and it's called Our Father. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, it was up there. I don't know if you've seen it uh, advertised on Netflix, but it's a pretty big shocker. It's about an emergency room, uh, I'm sorry, an, a fertility physician who, um, let me see how I'm going to word he had, this. He had, over, he had over 50 children that he inseminated, artificially inseminated with his sperm. I did see it, and it's horrifying. <laughs> and oh he was, he was, he was never accused or convicted of anything because there's no law preventing oh, that no. perverse oh, behavior. My. Right. Oh, I'm so glad you saw it. I, it was awful. And there's no awful. law against it. This guy can't, this guy basically masturbated next door while his um, women patients were in the stirrups waiting for him. And then he would come in and inject his own semen into the women. And the 
only way the women found out about it was that when 23andMe um, came out, a lot of them found found out through, I'm not not laughing. Um, I mean, I am laughing, but it's not funny, funny. It's horrifying, funny. Uh, A lot of them found out through 23andMe that they had half sisters and brothers that they didn't need, that they had, you know, all these half sisters and half brothers within uh, a 25 mile radius. And they were all his patients. (laughs) This is pretty important. It would be be egregious, even if they had said, just get me a good, you know, intelligent, uh, healthy, a donor, but in fact, a lot of the women had requested very specific things about the donor. He disregarded their requests completely and just used his own. That happened in Brazil as well. A doctor did that for over a hundred patients through the years that he was working. But in Brazil, they managed to put him in jail, considering it like a rape assault. Well, see, in the United States, they couldn't do it. It wasn't rape because the the or assault because the women were his patients and they wanted children, you know. And it just but did he, they he want his a, children? Pardon? Did they, they want, want his, his kids? But wanted, that should be a crime. But it's not. That that's the point that John and I made after seeing the yeah. film. And yeah, I, I think that, that yesterday as well. And there's also another one in Canada. It's more common than we think. Because I used to think it was just this crazy guy in Brazil and then I start looking. There's many cases in different countries. You know, it it, it uh, the lack of imagination in the prosecutors um, and in the attorneys uh, concerns me because I believe that they could have done civil prosecution for paternity support and under those circumstances could have bankrupted this guy into oblivion. You need a consent to put anything into a patient. You cannot operate with and put a mesh or anything like that sort in a patient without. How can you put a sperm? They had they, they, they were there for IVF, Jocelyn. They were there for IVF, and they had consented to have. They sperm had already signed. Put in, so they had already signed a release, and the the sperm that they thought they were getting, and this is typical of women who have IVF, was supposed to be from you know medical students or residents in a sperm bank. But the the reason that that I brought this up was not because it's horrifying, although the fact that it's horrifying is is really uh, horrifying, but it shows how little regard a lot of men, not you, John, not you, Heyman, <laughs> not you, Rick, but, you know, a lot of men have no regard for women. And consider them, you know, like part of their possessions or their chattel, you know. And you can see that in Alito's draft opinion. Alito's draft opinion to me was mind-boggling. 
It doesn't matter if you're for or against abortion. The fact that he is using for jurisprudence uh, the guy that did uh, this, the guy that, that uh, I've forgotten his name now, that presided over the Salem witch trials, you know, in the 16th century, is, is just astonishing. There's huge gender bias in healthcare, but the gender bias in healthcare is just a reflection of the gender bias everywhere. And it's, it's, I, I've also been in some religious rooms this, this week that were talking about women. And, and it's, it's basically says, you know, like Eve came from Adam's rib. And thus, it's part of Adam's, Adam's possessions. And that's still the legality of, of what we come from. And so this is a very deep, deep gender bias. Barbara, how do you, you know, do you yeah. want to talk more about that, the larger gender bias issue? Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the challenge when we have a mindset called we're more or less the same, right? Uh, and then we 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 map it onto a sameness, uh, you know, kind of bias, right? And so when women say something like "I don't feel good," it gets dismissed as well. What does that have to do with anything? What are the facts, right? Where's the logic, right? And, uh, and women have much more of an intuitive sense, right? Our prefrontal cortex is more connected. Um, so we, we, and, and our insula. So we have that more, you know, there's something wrong here. There's not something not right with me. But as you see, Heyman just put up a study around bias in, in medical institutions. And there was a Danish study in there. I think it was from 2018 that shows that women... Uh, wait much longer in the emergency room or for a diagnosis than men. I don't know if you want to put it back up, but I think it was like seven, seven times longer or something like that. So it's pervasive throughout. But here's the thing. I call it the enlightened denial. Because we feel that we have made progress around gender equality and all of that, uh, and we have, we absolutely have, right? We made more progress uh, in the last 10 years or 20 years than we have in 200 years, right? We know that. Uh, but, but that doesn't mean that we don't have blind spots and that it's hurting women. The number one killer today is heart attacks for women. It's the number one killer. And, and, and yet we're misinterpreting 72% of women, how, how they present, how they have heart attacks. So that's just one biggie right there, right, that we need to know. So, yeah, it's pervasive. And I always say, but not, let's, it's not about blame. It's not about blame. What you resist persists. It's about understanding, so let's accelerate our understanding and have these non-blame conversations where we have these aha moments and insights so that when we are in front of the doctor, we ask the right questions. Like, you know, I was prescribed a medication uh, about two years ago and I said, have you done any, is there any gender studies done on this? And wonderful guy, you know, he said, I'm not sure. And I said, do you mind checking? And he said, I will. He called me back two hours later. He said, don't take that medication. Don't take it. <laughs> Right. So we just need to ask the right questions because the, the resource is out there. It's just we need to dig deeper. So I just wanted to add that. Thanks. For and and if, if I could add one thing, and then I do absolutely have to leave. But 
there's a book written called The Female Brain, and it's a, a neuroscientist who looks at how comparing fMRIs of how men and women solve the same problem. And women have much more distributed computing in their brain, uh, which is a really good thing, and it, it sort of co corresponds with multitasking and lots of other things. It may also correspond with synesthesia, which is where the integration of senses and the, and the conflation of senses, uh, different sensory sensations um, is active. And there, there's some really fascinating theories um, about how uh, synesthesia, well, and, and how synesthesia may in fact um, have been enhanced by uh, a, a psychoactive substances used by all native tribes and that it may have, have been one of the, the critical uh, factors in the evolution of language. So there's all these virtues of the distinction in how the brain functions um, in women versus men. And it may, in fact, manifest in some of these different symptomatologies. It, 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 there may be some synesthetic uh, distributed computing kinds of underpinnings to how the same disease uh, presents differently in a woman than it does in a man, in, in a man, and and may account for this. And whatever the case is, uh, better research on that would be helpful, and better training of medical students and residents um, about not treating everybody the same, because even men have very atypical presentations, as I mentioned earlier. So it's just there, there. It's it's how to break people out of this whole notion. Um, of there being monolithic archetypal presentations of every disease. And if you don't conform with that, then you can discount that disease. So there's a lot of opportunities that the gender bias illustrates. And that's why I, I you know, focus a lot of, of, of my lens on reviewing these kinds of issues um, through both evolutionary biology and how evolutionary biology creates cognitive bias. Cognitive bias um, is generally a good thing, but when it's a bad thing, it's a really, really, really bad thing. And in this case, it's a really, really bad thing. And so that's why Dr. Alice uh, and I are going to be writing an op-ed on exactly that issue. But i got to run. Thank you for holding this room. Sorry, I can't stay. I'll come back if I can. John, claim your karma coin airdrop as you leave the room. Everyone who comes to this room gets one. It's free. It's just a sign of support for me and other creators. You know, I'll do that. Do rooms. And, and I've also posted it on call-in side, too. And everyone on call-in, you're also welcome to come up on stage and uh, uh, speak as well. Wait, someone has asked me to speak. It, is it yeah, good? It's the, good yeah, I wanted good. to suggest that before John runs out, that the subject that he just mentioned about this book, that we could do a room. John makes himself available about it because I'm finding fascinating. A room on what, Guta? On the, oh, on the, the female brain. Exactly. And, oh, that, that would be a fun room to do. And, and just as a general principle, I, I, I have a very chaotic, I have a very chaotic day job, so I can never commit to a specific time cause in advance because I never know if I can make it or not. But if you let me know when it's happening, I'll do everything I can to be there. I just can't guarantee it. Thanks, John. Totally. Um, I'm okay, sending well, you I'm... some things in the back channel, John. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Got to run. Bye. Thank you, John. And Maria on call-in side, did you want to come up? Uh, she wrote something on the background, so in the chat space in call-in. Sorry, go ahead, sure. Francine. 
in the meantime. Um, no, I was just going to let Jocelyn begin to tell her story because I've told her, I mean, I've heard her story a couple of times before, but I'm sure there are people who haven't heard it because it's mind boggling. Oh, Jocelyn got a call. Okay, I give up. Um, how about SMS? I'd like to add some more research to when we get a chance, Francine. Oh, sure. I'm new uh, here. I'm not really acquainted with the whole discussion, so I'd really like to hear more before I you know, talk. Okay, great. Great. Yeah, one of the things I just wanted to mention that John, I know he's muted, he may still be here, he may not, but, you know, the uh, interesting thing about, and you can look this up, but, you know, for example, Viagra, they decided to uh, make a female version of Viagra, and they tested it on women after they had a drink, and it made them sick. So they went back and tested on men, and they had no effect, and then they approved it, the FDA approved it. That's that's what's going on here, right? That's why you have 80 over-the-counter medications being pulled off, right? 87% uh, of autoimmune diseases in women, autoimmune. Imagine the impact that has on COVID and long COVID, right? So we have, we have uh, a lot of work to do. The good news is I've written five books on this. Luanne Brinston-Dean, uh, which is what John just mentioned, it's called The Female Brain. Uh, Dr. Daniel Amen wrote a book called Unleash the Power of the Female Brain. So there's a lot out there that you can get and you can watch my TED Talk and other resources. I have a podcast and so on. All of that is free, but it's just a matter of just educating yourself um, to really learn more because we, we are hurting boys, as an example, in, in school if we want to put it on the other side of the coin because we're misinterpreting gender difference how boys learn, right? Boys are attributed. We partner with Pearson Education with uh, elementary schools to see, uh, put a gender lens on it. And they found that 87% of the boys who were diagnosed with ADHD did not have it. They did not have it. They had learning differences. They move around. I'm not surprised. I mean, yeah. I yeah. had stepchildren that, and foster children that were boys. They are different and you can't sit them at a desk. They just can't sit still, right? I had two, two of my sons were given medication that I refused to give them, and I was a really, really bad mom, right? But that's because I found these these gender differences, right? So even as parents, brothers and sisters, it's good for us to really learn about this because we are hurting, you know, not knowing this hurt both men and women and both boys and girls. That's just what I wanted to add to that. And just to help the people on call inside, that was Barbara Annis speaking, and uh, Dr. Francine uh, will join shortly. Thanks, Heyman. Do you want me to continue, Heyman? As, oh, please uh, do. Yeah, please. Also, okay. I also found some stats on uh, the fact that women actually um, represent quite a number, significant number of the healthcare workers in the space, but yet uh, the change is very slow. I'll post that up. 70% of global healthcare workers are women, but of course, physicians uh, are now in the OECD. Uh, it's more parity, but in the rest of the world, it's not. Uh, nursing specialty, of course, of course, I mean, it is, has been, and it still is uh, dominated by females. 
but otherwise, uh, surgical uh, primary care are still majority men. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I just wanted to mention that Dr. Marianne Legado. That's not true here in India. We have a completely different scenario here. Oh, good. Do you want me to continue, Heyman? Of course, please do. Sorry. Yeah, yeah so, uh, yeah, what's also interesting is Dr. Marianne Legado, who's written many books on this, uh, she was asked by the U.S. Health Department to research um, women's hearts in 1990. And her answer was, why would I want to do that? There are no differences. Because in medical school, nobody was taught these differences. And she's become a very good friend of mine. And she, she literally not only decided to do it, she had a huge grant to do it, but she also began to say, okay, if the heart's different, what are the body parts are different? And she found that every part of our body's organs are different in women. And she started a, a uh, center for gender-specific medicine out of Columbia University out of that research because she just simply saw that it wasn't um, the case. So she's written textbook, but Dr. Larry Cahill, neuroscientist, and John, I'll, when John gets back, I'll back channel him, is, is just finishing the first textbook for medical schools on gender differences. So that's going to be a shot that's heard, heard around the world once that, but that gets out. I want, you know, I, I want to know, I, I know how it started. How it started was they, when they started dissecting to teach medical students, they started, they started with, um, Men in men in paupers' graves, you know. So they and that's how they got like free resources for dead bodies to dissect in medical school, and that's how they started studying the insides of bodies. If you read the history of medicine in like you know sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth, I don't know. I I went to Edinburgh and there. There's a medical museum in Edinburgh that I went to, and that's where I learned that. But, and so it, it just evolved like that. I don't think anyone ever meant it to evolve like that. Oh, it was with the best of intentions, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay, let's see if we can get to Jocelyn, because this is, it's, it's such a typical story. So typical. You ready? Yes, thank you, Dr. Francine. I'm sorry I had a problem with the app earlier. I had to shut my phone down and, and come back in. Anyway, thank you for giving me space. Um, so something out of the ordinary happened to me in 2012. Um, sorry, for legal reasons, I can't discuss it here. But in early 2013, I started having ear pain, dizziness, nauseousness, nosebleeds, and headaches that I thought I'd never lived through. I also started hearing strange sounds in my New York apartment, and they were so out of the ordinary that I used my phone and I recorded some of them. I knew something wasn't adding up. I went to a New York report. I said, this is very suspicious. I've never been prone to any of these symptoms. I think my pain is externally triggered. He told me a trustworthy gentleman had come to him with something similar. I even went to the FBI and I said, I know some, I know physics invo is involved here. 
Physics was one of my favorite subjects in school. I knew physics was involved. I didn't know exactly how it was done, but I knew this was an external assault. Fast forward to, 20, to the summer of 2017 when the story broke about the diplomats. The reporter texted me and asked if I was following what was going on there because, it was, because he believed it was so similar to what I had shared with him. I was already all over the story. The symptoms were the same. The noise that was later released that was heard by some of the diplomats was identical to what I had recorded. Jocelyn, now, sorry, yes. uh, we're we're sort of familiar with, sorry, to those in the audiences uh, in different platforms, we're familiar, sorry to uh, interrupt you there, Jocelyn, but we were familiar with the Havana syndrome, right? That's what you're getting yes. to. Yes, now, Havana syndrome. But in your, in your research and, and so forth, like given this, uh, the, the title of the room, it's the gender differences, right? Have you noticed, like in your, uh, in, in your travels, uh, in your, in your experiences and in your hardships, has there been any discussion about any gender differences or oh, even right. in your medical experiences? What type of gender differences have you seen? Not in specific Absolutely. to the condition itself, getting... but in, in terms of the condition. Yes, that yeah. was the point I was going to make next that when I went to doctors, mostly male doctors, I was ridiculed. I was, um, I, and I researched that extensively, and I found out that for a lot of women, when they come forward with anything out of the ordinary, they're usually dismissed. And um, I also have been reaching out to um, people in my uh, representatives in my area, and I'm getting the same type of, um, you know. Um, the same type of response. I've reached out to senators, uh, a senator here in Clubhouse, and there has been no, um, no follow-up as to say, well, you know, let's look into this for further. I even send the tape that I made to the State Department. I've called repeatedly. I have not gotten one response. Now, the Havana syndrome is... Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's still an ongoing thing. And I think that I don't think there's a much of a difference between the male and the female presentation. But I'm curious to know, like, you know, the definition of hysteria, right? Absolutely. Um, um, absolutely. Yeah, so I think they, they corresponded it to like in the, uh, the back days, they used to say it was due to your uh, uterus, right? Yes. It's a bit, Barbara, please that's, go ahead. Yeah, Justin, that's what your, your experience is very consistent with what's happening in emergency rooms all over the world today is that when women are in tears or something like that, they're, they're, they're attributing it to hysteria or some kind of psychiatric, you know, um, you know, reaction kind of thing. Yeah. Like, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of black women die giving birth in this country. I read about a case, Kira yeah. out mm -hmm. in California. She, um, her family was begging for help for hours she had so much blood pool in her, and she died on the operating room table. Uh, and th th these are the, the things we've seen in this country, uh, where women are not believed, especially minorities. You know, their, their pain is not well treated. And um, in my case, you know, I'm an, I'm an immigrant. I came here, I worked tirelessly as an operating room nurse. And the same profession that I worked in for many years ridiculed me. 
and I'm here. My sole purpose here in Clubhouse is to bring awareness to the fact that Havana syndrome is not just happening to diplomats and other government workers. It's happening to ordinary people. It happened to me. And 60 Minutes did a wonderful episode. And they dive further into the weapon that's used the energy weapons that could be easily they're portable today they could be concealed in a backpack yeah. in a small luggage in a park vehicle connects to your dwelling and these crimes i mean they're yeah, they're invisible sorry uh, sorry to stop you there uh, no jocelyn because i think and no one goes to prison just so for we the, because have a new way of committing crimes in this country and we need to pay attention to this yeah, I, yeah. well and there is some, the- some attention being paid for, to EMFs, because that's one of those kinds of energy fields that some people are very sensitive mm-hmm. to. And also, I mean, I yeah, think and that, I think in the yeah. context of this room, uh, it is it is a bias, and it's how you, Jocelyn, are being misinterpreted in how you express your emotions, right? And it happens in the workplace too, you know. Often when when you know. I'll just give you an example. So this is a trading floor in London, England. And there was this top woman trader, top producer, and she lost a deal. And there's this top male producer lost a deal and he smashed the phone, right? And they were literally counting the amount of phones that he smashed each year. Like it was like a trophy thing, right? Well, she cried once, right? And, and really cried, you know, she was felt really sad for her clients and what was happening in the stock market and so on. And, um, and they, labeled her as uh, oh she's lost it she doesn't have it together anymore right we better get her off the trading floor so a complete misinterpretation because when women men express frustration they kind of explode you know bang the phone or go ah and women tend to implode like be teary-eyed and that often get misinterpreted not as a sign of frustration and anger but as a sign of being weak or not being able to handle it. So I think in the context of this room, that's super important. Well, Barbara, we're different at a molecular level. So I don't understand why they expect our responses to be the same. That's why we're doing these rooms, you know, it's important for us to really remove these lines. That's exactly what we, and I think, um, Hayden, that maybe you want to take down that link about yeah. female hysteria. And also one thing, the stats... imprints on no. people. And also one more the thing is the stats say that women are diagnosed twice as... We well. didn't used to know about the molecular differences. And in fact, we didn't used to know anything. Right. Uh, well, well, Dr. Um, Francine, look at the way COVID was treated initially, the long haulers. They were dismissed. They were ridiculed until doctors succumb to the condition and then it was okay it was acceptable they started studying it so there was, this is the type of response we get in this country so some stats to that because they say that women are uh, diagnosed nearly twice as much as men when it comes to depression and during the covid crisis 79% of healthcare workers who were infected were women that's right yep it's it's and it's, i want tell you that COVID does, well, there is this, if you are a person who's prone to depression and you get COVID, because both of those are true of me, you come out of it with depression. It, that is one of the 
you know, now I, I'm not going to go get diagnosed to find out if I have long COVID or not, but I am saying that I'm taking all kinds of precautions um, to defeat my own propensity to depression, which has been way worsened by COVID because I've had it all my life. So I know when it gets worse or better. So, you know, so there's a lot of stuff that really isn't being studied because unless you are pretty desperate, you don't go to the doctor and you don't get diagnosed and you don't know. Ben, do you want to say something? You're up here on stage occupying the uh, prime real estate. Prime. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, if, if there's a price, I should probably purchase something for like the metaverse, right? Um, yeah. Right. Well, you should download a free karma coin. That's what you should do. <laughs> will do. Will do. Um, I, I came in earlier when you were discussing the, uh, the Dobbs case, the... Um, uh, the leaked opinion. Uh, I just wanted to share a couple of things. But first, I think, you know, anecdotally, I, I share some of the sentiments I've heard here. But from a different perspective, I've noticed in my limited experiences dealing with the medical hair, medical hair, healthcare system in the US, uh, advocate, being an advocate for patients, uh, my folks, is that this is, there's no data, but maybe Heyman or somebody can chime in. I found that male doctors tend to be a bit of more less patient and more uh sure in their diagnoses without really listening to the patients or understanding whether the patients um uh you know accepted it or understood what what the doctor meant and they tend to be i mean a couple of my my dad's doctor my own doctor i've had experiences that basically the doctor goes just do this, you know, and then get out of my office. Basically, nothing, not in so many words. But I've had female doctors, they tend to be somewhat different, you know, instead of, uh, you know, for the same symptoms, for example, whether you should go for surgery or not. Uh, the male doctor would, would say, um, in my dad's case, oh, just get the surgery done. It's not, I'm not going to guarantee it, but, you know, that's the way it is. But female doctors would be more likely to say, you know, maybe there are these conservative approaches to treat, to, um, you know, I'm making this up, exercise or adjust or blah, 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 before we go for the surgery option, because there's so many uh, uh, consequences if you go through a surgery, uh, you know, your condition to recover, blah, blah, blah. So I just think there's a sense that maybe this, these type of gender differences can be reflected in the, not just among you know, the, the recipients of medical system, but also, but, but also the givers of the medical system as well. Yeah, and that ben. sort of brings me back to what I was just, uh, you know, just on that. I used to be a pre-med tutor in graduate school. And I remember, you know, beyond the emphasis of uh, organic chemistry or math or biology, I think we were trying to instill in the pre-med students that what's called bedside manners could be very important. And I think that was a, a substitute for really being able to listen, to pay attention holistically to the patient's conditions, not just, you know, uh, uh, stuff well, sort of things the way down the throat. They express it. Bedside manner. It's not a feeling. 
it's no. it's a, a manner that you adopt like a mannerism you know exactly yeah. exactly so like that that head. was a the, the phrase bath and matter really is uh sort of was hiding something much bigger much bigger yeah. as in uh lose this attitude that oh to sort of oh i'm the doctor listen to me you're shut up you're the patient and i think that reflects a societal changes of realizing you know what we used to know what we started with like dr francine was saying maybe because resources you know things started from men were working in the early days of medicine but nowadays things are changing we should look at more holistically the correct way of giving out therapeutics, giving out diagnosis. And this is really, it goes beyond, and that's, that's my point of trying to, uh, you know, come up here to share, is that, yes, uh, women under siege the head of the room, but I think things like this, this leaked draft opinion, it's, it's a dangerous sign of impacting not just women, but rather it's a sense of impacting other groups as well, such as immigrants, like Jocelyn was mentioning, uh, I agree. Or, as such yep. as rights uh, groups, if you belong in the minority group, you know, minority as in not race-wise, but maybe sexual minority group, maybe other types of, you know, minority group in this country. So I think if you read that draft opinion, which I agree with Dr. Fancine, even if you were on the side of overturning Roe Ro v. Wade, this, the language, the way it was drafted, it was much more of a uh, op-ed piece or a Twitter, if you will, versus a well-balanced, reasoned, yeah. logical discussion of an issue. Uh, for one thing, the I mean, the fir- when I saw the first word of the decision, I just sort of it, it just lost me, which is egregious. It says Roe was egregiously decided. That is just not something you would at least in in, in the in the opinion court opinion draft wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I used to draft this at a federal course as a law clerk. You just don't do something like that with a president that you sure you want to overrule it, but a president that was been around that has been around for for you know since the seventies on such an important issue, and there have been so many other additional like Casey presidents that have been decided, uh, comp- you know, complying with the same uh, uh, reasoning, and you call it egregiously decided. That is just. That's a very telltale, telltale sign. So, well, yeah, because love I mean, to... it, it takes you back to women as property. Yeah. It makes... Let me go. Let go me go ahead. back to Ben. What you said initially, because I think it's super important uh, around doctors and gender differences in doctors. So men, and these are tendencies, of course. They're not all men. There's a bell curve here, but there's a tendency for men to be more transactional as doctors. And women to tend to be more uh, relational, right? In terms of relating to the, the 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 patient or the client, standing in the shoes, make sure they're taken care of. But you're right around decisiveness. There's is a short term kind of div- division around men tending to be much more risk takers and making decisions around. Yes, surgery is a good idea. I can't promise you anything, but go and go and get it done. There's a great book called How Women Decide that talks about women being much more risk wise. And in my book, I talk about the prefrontal cortex, uh, where it was just the consequential thinking of the brain. So when women look at something and they say, okay, if we do this, what impact will it have over here, over here, over here? That's kind of the risk wisdom that women bring into a situation. And we see that in the medical community and we see it in leadership and in elsewhere as well. So I just wanted to add that 
uh, before we. There's a small caveat, though. Well, I mean, so yeah, from my experiences in obstetrics and gynecology during my rotations, I was told that the male uh, clinicians or the male uh, trainees were much more gentle and the women were like exactly how Ben described in the other case. So women are sometimes maybe tougher on other women in that specialty only. That's what I've heard. Uh, I've, I could bring some uh, obstetrics uh, physicians in the future and we could discuss that, but that's what I've heard on that side. The, well, the one thing I want to add to that. My, let me tell you the story of my back. About 25 years ago, um, I had terrible back pain one morning. I couldn't straighten up. And because I was the widow of a physician and I knew the local medical system really well, I immediately made an appointment at Barrow Neurological uh, Center, which was the place with the best uh, spine surgeons in the city. And I went, I went to my consult and I couldn't even sit. I was in such pain that I was basically laying on the floor. And the doctor who was the, one of the top docs there told me, well, um, you're going to need this surgery and it's going to take six months to recover and we're going to put screws in into your back and make this straighten up and, you know, all of that. And and I was terrified and I thought, I better find another way to do it. So he had a, um, he, he had a pamphlet that said uh, something about exercises and I said to him, do you mind if before we do this surgery, I do some exercises first? And, you know, I try some exercises first because he was like, okay, let's get this scheduled. He came in with an assistant, you know, a person with a notepad took notes and, you know, was ready to schedule the appointment. And I was too terrified. I wasn't going to do it. So I... <laughs> I decided that I would follow his pamphlet of exercises and that pamphlet of exercises led me to yoga. And for 25 years, I practiced yoga and I developed my core and I didn't hear from my back. And I was at a cocktail party and it was ironically a retirement party for this doctor who, uh, who is Volker Sontag, his name was, um, he was retiring from the faculty at Barrow Neurological Center, and I said to him, you know, Dr. Sondag, um, I never had that surgery that you thought I should have, and I'm fine. And he looked at me and said, and I cannot believe how dismissively, I've never been dismissed like this. I usually am not dismissed at all. He said, well, I guess you're one of those lucky people that conservative treatments work for. And I was like, oh boy, you know, and that's how, that is how uh, women are treated by the medical establishment. And Andrea, how are you feeling? Oh, thank you for asking. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, still coughing, but okay. Thanks. Um, Dr. Francine, I think um, I, it's interesting. I actually kind of go out of my way to try to choose women doctors. And when I moved to uh, New York, I found this amazing.
Uh oh, are you in the matrix? Go ahead. Oh, possibly. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can. Okay. No, I'm just saying I usually try to seek out women uh doctors. Uh and I'm a kind of a nightmare um patient because I go like I go in informed and I have my questions and I don't have this um awe. I have awe of my doctor friends and how much public service they do. And I have a tremendous amount of respect, uh, but I don't have, I've, I've seen this very interesting relationship sometimes, which is quite deferential, you know, to two doctors in a way. And like, you're not empowered as a patient to ask questions and, you know, uh, and it's very, and that was even the more internet is changing in India. That. The yeah. internet is changing that. Most doctors now are expecting patients to come in having Googled everything. So it is changing. And not only that, but if you could ever see how your doctor makes decisions now, most primary care doctors use decision tree software. So, <laughs> you know, they're not even answering out of their training. And I think I what, agree with, sorry. sorry. No, go ahead, Jocelyn. Thank you. I agree with you, Dr. Francine. I was surprised yeah. recently in the New York Times when I saw this article um, entitled Considering Bone or Joint Surgery, You May Not Need It. And um, they were saying for many common problems of the knee, hip, shoulder, spine, and wrist, non-surgical options may be just as good. So uh, I was surprised because years ago I didn't see stuff like this in the New York Times. So I'm happy there, these changes. And I think that's well, a key point. The age matters because I think even in the older generation, doesn't uh, you find that you know, the knowledge wasn't there or maybe they weren't trained that way. Now the newer generation, uh, you'll notice not much of a discrepancy between uh, the care and also the articles that they're referring to when they say female doctors may be better is the articles that involve more complex patients. So these are patients who are discharged home, elderly patients. So in those kind of discharges, you have to look at the comprehensive uh, discharge. So it's, it's the environment, who the caregivers are, like make sure everything's set up. And so uh, not to be biased or anything, but it's just that tend to be that women who are predominantly the caregivers in uh, families and so forth, who take on most of that role, tend to look at the full picture. Um, and men typically get trained on that in medical school, while women tend to, because of the fact that the, the way society is built up and how it is, uh, they tend to think of these things beforehand. So these patients do much better when they go home because they've got everything else set up. Um, so that's what my observation and what this research also is suggesting. What I noticed as well. Barbara, you're, you're, you're Barbara disconnected. Oh, yeah. You're back okay. now. You're good. Now, I think. Am I disconnecting? I'm sorry. No, you're, no, you're good. And also Evelyn okay. or Emo or Jay on Colin, please, you're welcome to chime in as well. I know we only have five minutes left or so, but I just wanted to add, just to put in a larger context, because I know we're doing more rooms on the topic of gender. This one was about health. Uh, we're going to talk more about the fact that if you look at the global, uh, there's, a, there's a great book called Invisible Women, and it's about data bias in the world designed for men. 80% of the cars that you drive right now have only been tested with male dumb, dummies, Right. So women are actually having much more in accident 
much greater uh, fractures, chest fractures, uh, because the the, uh, the the airbag is not measured on a women's height and, and how women are, hips and everything are different, right? So we've got a lot more to speak about in terms of how how much is it. Even the, the workplace, if you go to Silicon Valley or any of the offices that you work, they're a male bias design. They're, they, they're, even the temperature, like yeah. uh, the air conditioning is put... Men, women freeze. There's a study in Japan of women literally cannot function cognitively because they're freezing in the offices or in the colleges because the temperature is set a certain certain. Male bias desk chairs. My we have, yeah, yeah exactly. Don't reach yep. the ground in desk chairs because I'm yep. still- And yeah. also buttons that, on women's that shirts. I see, I see a lot yes, in my exactly. area in design. It's something that I always discuss about it that everything is designed for men. Yes. And that's what you're saying. And one example you said in the car, the seat belts. Yes. <laughs> for us with the breasts, <laughs> the seat, I mean, it's really complicated. There's a lot of things. And it's something that I always spoke about in school, especially because when you advocate for universal design, that's something that you have to be very careful and how to do and how to calculate for the drawings. Because universal design is very important because of the level of of equality that brings, you know, for people who are completely excluded, even for a simple task of open a drawing their own kitchen. Right, yeah. but there's uh, many up other aspects to it. I think it's going to be a fantastic subject to talk. And going back to the medicine, what I wanted to bring here, as we are talking about women health and bias, is I actually think one of the worst, uh, let's say, victims of that uh, that culture, that mentality, is women, middle-aged women, and menopause. It's unbelievable how the doctors are completely, uh, completely without any understanding of what is really happening to you, right? The, as they read just as a as a biological thing, and that's it. And if anything, okay, then think hormone therapy. When we know that hormone therapy can be questionable, not every woman can do it, right? But it's all taken and, and it's all minimized because I've been through that. I've been to doctors where I cried, say that I couldn't keep living without feeling anything, right? That what was happening to me. And it was very simple. Oh, that's the way it is. You came to that age. And that's how I was treated in three, four different countries until I find a woman doctor who actually knew what I was going through. Well, we need my to, life had completely changed. So we need to do more on menopause just as I agree women don't talk about Dr. Ronson even ourselves because we are not allowed to be middle aged well I'm going to uh, we're going to do a full series first of all everybody thank you for coming and make sure you click on the link and pick up your free karma coin um, because I love you 
and uh, everybody needs an attitude adjustment. So this will give you an attitude adjustment. You got something. And in, ad- in addition, we, I, I, Barbara and Heyman and I have been working together for a year, and we finally have decided we are going to make this into a, a proper club. So we have a, a plan of women's issues rooms, basically called Women Under Siege, you know, that we're going to do for the next, oh, I don't know, month or two and see if we can't at least uncover some of these issues. We're not going to solve them, but we can uh, we can uncover them. And I can't remember who said it, but somebody said sunlight is the best disinfectant. So at least we're going to put a little disinfectant into this room. But just make sure and you have some sunblock on because women have a hypertension <laughs> to get cancer. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's better to and eat then, your We love you, Amen. We love you. <laughs> and there I come again, bringing again the, 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 let's say, the elephant in the room. And we are all here talking. We are all privileged. We are all white. Right. We are all living in yep. the north hemisphere of the globe. So if, and if we are complaining and seeing those things and, and, and stating those uh, biased and difficulties in women's health in our in our world, imagine the others who are brown, black, indigenous, living in the south of the globe, where the countries give no support to public health, if the less women have space, where they are getting killed just for being women, more than in our societies yeah, well where said. we are living. And, and also, so Guta's point I, was, all the U.S. politics... It has a huge impact in some of these uh, developing and even third world countries because of the aid, uh, the, the, the fertility uh, issues that are being tied to aid. And that's causing a lot of hardships in these countries. Uh, so women don't have power because of the fact that there are sometimes these rules tied to the American aid that's being given to Africa and uh, South America. Um, so they don't have any control of their family control over family sizes, and they tend to be uh, deprived of the any growth they could have on their own. All right, it, it's quite morbid that point, Ham, and you you raise it and you remind it very well. It's and it's quite morbid because uh, uh, those women they become basically uh, baby makers, reproductive machine yeah. for cheap labor. Right, and oh, we can discuss that next week, women as cheap labor. All right, again, thank you so much for coming. Um, love you all. Love your. I love having a community here. Um, I don't care if it doesn't get any bigger as long as the people stay here because we are getting to know each other. We are getting to respect each other. We're getting to talk to each other and. Um, and a little bit of love, and a little bit of karma. See you next week. Take care, all. Thank you, Dr. Francine. Thank you, you so much. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks, Francine. Thanks, Thanks, everyone. And thank you for joining us from Colin as well. And please, uh, you're welcome to join any time on stage. And sorry if uh, it's a little confusing at times when you don't know who's speaking on the other stage, but I'll try to improve that uh, by having people announce it. And hopefully we're trying to create, uh, because of the fact that we connect these stages is because some people can't have access to certain um, 
uh, platforms. So call-in was not available on Android until recently. So a lot of people on Android used to join us from Clubhouse and so forth. So thanks again. Uh, take care all. Bye.